Hi, listener and viewer. Um, this is From Ideology to Unity, a spiritual journey where we let go of ego and ideological doctrine in favor of meaning, purpose, and unity as a whole. So this episode is an episode where I'm comparing the different, certain, I'd say six different approaches to understanding the mind, comparing them, looking at some positives and negatives, so to speak, and sort of laying it out so that to clarify my intuitive perspective on them and where they're compatible as well. So I'm actually going to start with Freud. So Freud's, the way Freud understood the mind was actually in certain ways groundbreaking and also pretty fascinating, really. He, he was quite, he had quite a mind. Um, he had definitely had his flaws and so did his theory, but there's certain things, especially his conception of the psyche or the mind, which have some definite strengths to them that I, I will outline now. So he, of course, identified the ego first, but the, the ego is, I suppose you could say, the mainstay of our consciousness on a day-to-day -day basis, I suppose. But that which we are aware of, everything we are not aware of is suppressed or repressed in the id, right? And the id is all the socially unacceptable, or that which is deemed socially unacceptable, base instincts and desires that cannot really be compatible with a functioning society or civilization or at least that's that's certainly as how freud seems to have seen it so the id was very much a subconscious thing which is all the base instincts which unleashed cause havoc in society and Lastly, innocence above um, the ego is the superego. And the superego, to my understanding, is he, he understood it as, I suppose it's sort of social conditioning and normalize, normalizing to the social conditioning society and morality and ethics which constrain and condition the ego such that the id is kept out of the consciousness or kept beneath the surface and the, the, the someone behaves in a way that and everyone behaves in a way that maintains a civilized society which doesn't fall apart with savagery and barbarism, let's say. I mean, he would have looked at World War II as an unleashing of the id um, 
I would say. Now, one one strength of this hat is that in A Course in Miracles, Christ, which is A Course in Miracles, the channeling of the Christ consciousness. I'm actually going to do an interview of one of the uh, scribes who wrote it uh, today, later today, actually. But yeah, uh, according to Course in Miracles, uh, a strength, or Christ even, uh, a, um, a, a real big strength of Freud's model is this superego ego id model in that it recognizes that how do you put it? There is at least in the state of society at the moment and how it's been for a long time, there's a lot of the subconscious takes a form which has a lot of base instincts, right? So then naturally they see it, of course, miracle sees it as there's the conscious and there's the unconscious, but or the, the subconscious that is. And the subconscious can be, can either take a form that I suppose you could say divine or in line with or conditioned by the Christ consciousness or I am consciousness or it can take a form where it's it involves a lot of base instincts and selfishness and so forth uh, in so a strength of Freud's model, according to Christ in Force of Miracles, is that the id represents, I suppose you could say, the fallen state of a, of the subconscious when it, in it when it's in this fallen state. But that, and that Jung's perspective, Carl Jung's perspective, is almost like too neat and tidy, and while it's very holistic it treats the subconscious like it's it talks about this collective unconscious and personal unconscious and it treats it like almost like it's more beautiful than it is or like it's when really it's um it's a complicated mess of base instincts essentially, but applied to social maneuvering for social status and insecure insecurities and base desires essentially. But the strength of Freud's model is that if you just modify it slightly, you can account for the subconscious can take a form where it isn't like the id, but rather it's shining with divine light and connected and connected to the I am and source, I suppose, or the Christ consciousness. And that the Christ consciousness is a bridge between the, the ego, which is like the in incarnation 
let's say identity or form or body and mind and that the superego I suppose represents a higher influence upon the ego which can tame it in certain regards. Of course, though, there are weaknesses of Freud's model. And the biggest weakness, which Carl Jung identified with the model, was that it basically involves repressing the subconscious. Now, and this can cause serious problems, because according to Carl Jung, who was a protege of Freud, but later diverged and um, they fell out, is that, yeah, what happens if you repress all that subconscious content? Will it just go away? No, what happens is it will, it will rise up, bubble up into the conscious and manifest in a way that is unhealthy and destructive. So he, Carl Jung looked at, say, World War II and the events that led up to it, World War One as well, and society around the time. And he saw lots of um, psychic or contents in the psyche that is not consciously in the light of awareness and yet is very much part of the psyche. And that it still plays a role in the psyche, just not in a controlled, healthy way not in a harmonious way, but rather bubbling up to the surface and involving projection. So what will happen is someone rejects something as part of that. They, they, uh, let me think of an example. I suppose, suppose someone believes in hard work and discipline and really pushing themselves to get things done, to be hard work. And they feel like their sense of self-worth and identity is based around that. Now, they will reject the part of themselves, essentially, which loves to relax and maybe watch TV or read or just take in the scenery, right? Or whatever it is, and just relax and not get anything, not do anything at all. Just, yeah, relax, essentially. And they will, and someone like that will see in, in other people in their life, they will see those people who don't work hard like they do as deficient, less worthy than them, and also perhaps even a, a, pro, a threat to getting things done and a problem that needs to be solved, that they judge those people as, oh, you're not worthy like me. I get things done, right? Or simultaneously someone else might rebel against the whole idea of getting things done. And their idea might be, they might reject in themselves the part of them that would like to get stuff done. And they will see other people who do that as <clears throat> maybe the control freaks or um, boring or something like that. 
I could go into more detail, but that's just an example. There are plenty of other examples. Anything you reject about yourself will, you will see externally in others, right? And that's something Carl Jung also looked at the collective unconscious where there's a, in the subconscious, there's a collective aspect to that. And he certainly had certain insights about that because it wasn't, there is a collective aspect to consciousness, and I suppose subconsciousness too. There's certainly a lot of insights about that. And also there's this interesting idea of the self, where in the depths of the subconscious, which he called shadow, is you can actually find the, the, the light of, a holistic light of consciousness that represents the whole psyche. But you need to look within the depths of your inner darkness to actually find it. Although interestingly, from uh, a more law of one or of course a miracles perspective, that's actually yourself as a whole. That is you, that's the I am. Uh, so to lay it out, there's, he like, like Freud, he believed that there was a, an ego that was what you're consciously aware of being, that there was the shadow, which is all the repressed psychic content that you do not accept as part of you. And everyone else, that anyone that reflects that which you reject about yourself, you project onto as lacking in a certain way, right? Or as an enemy or a threat or something. And that the, the self as a whole is like a circle surrounding the whole thing, the whole psyche, which is the whole psyche as a whole. And if you integrate your conscious with your subconscious, the light with the darkness, what you reject, accept about yourself, what you reject about yourself into one, then you become a more holistic person who is more balanced and stable. And that is actually, that there is actually, there are significant benefits to, to doing um, shadow work from a Jungian perspective and going through the process of integrating your shadow. There is, there is a problem with this though, and that it can go a certain distance, say, in helping you stabilize and balance your psyche. It can give you more awareness of yourself to a certain point, but it doesn't take you all the way. In fact, it might stabilize your ego to a certain point where, but it won't free you from your egoic programming. It won't necessarily free you from the suffering that comes from ego and your identity, your sense of identity. In fact, you might look at people who haven't integrated their shadow or gone through any shadow work as inferior on that basis. So it doesn't necessarily free you from it, it helps potentially, but it doesn't really free you from it. That, that's the problem. 
So, more on that later, insofar as it uh, relates to another approach that I'm going to mention later. But next, which I mentioned already, is A Course in Miracles, the channeling of Christ, or a channeling of Christ, anyway, which was written by scribes, essentially. And, um, yeah, so instead of these three categories, you can broadly divide the psyche from this perspective as there's the I am Christ consciousness that I am and you are and we are, right? Which is, there's, which is, we are God the Son and we are brothers and one with the Christ consciousness and Christ, who's also a son of the Father. There's the Father above, I suppose you could say all that is, or God the Father, which is the whole of reality, or the creator, the creator, essentially. Like all that is or source in the world one. Um, and then below that, there's the son, which is Christ, and then his younger brothers or sisters, who are us, right? And then I suppose below that there's ego. Um, but yeah, more or less two categories. The I am and the subconscious. And the, or the egoic identity. But the subconscious can take a form that is connected and blessed and by the, and in line with Christ consciousness, at which point imagine it as like a golden shining light layer beneath. So there'd be two layers, the layer of the I am below that, the layer of the subconscious, which is shining brightly, right? Radiantly. But it can take another form, which is egoic, essentially, where not in touch with the divine light of the I am, it's, um, I couldn't know the details. I, honestly, I, if I knew, if I'd read the text more extensively, if I knew it better, I could probably go into more detail, but it's essentially it's like the ego, the fallen, a more fallen state with a lot of suffering and conflict and so forth. I think you know what I'm talking about anyway. Similar to this is Neville Goddard's conception of things. So, oh wait, wait, backtrack, backtrack a little bit. I forgot uh, to mention the positives and negatives of A Course in Miracles. So, one benefit, if you compare it to the Law of One, for example, of A Course in Miracles, is it's, it frames things in a very Christian kind of way, well, naturally, it's kind of in the Christ consciousness, right? So, for those in the West or of a more Christian mindset, have been Christian or kind of into Christian mysticism and that sort of angle, it's more accessible and appealing to that 
um, mindset, I suppose. And that's a serious positive that the law of one doesn't necessarily have because the law of one is kind of has this vibe in my opinion that's very much like Vedic ideas, like Buddhism and Hinduism. It's got a more Asian vibe, even though it's actually. Even though it's um, action from the Confederation, of which Ra and Quo are part of, um, that's not necessarily a disadvantage per se of the Law of One, and it's not per se an advantage of Force and Miracles that it has a more Christian framing, but it, it does help for those who prefer that approach. It's nice that there's another approach that's more Christian-esque, right? Um, and a downside of Wars and Miracles, if you could really say it's a downside, is that there's a lots of aspects of mysticism and New Age ideas and metacism, which it just doesn't go into, right? And that's fine because maybe it's focused on what, well, from Christ's perspective, what matters in terms of what, what was important for him to communicate in A Course in Miracles. But nevertheless, I suppose you could say it's kind of a downside in that it's missing from the overall picture of A Course in Miracles. But you know, A Course in Miracles is quite big as it is. So it's not really a problem. There's plenty of gold to find in that to really help raise your awareness. Anyway, um, Neville Goddard um, is quite interesting. His studies really are. So like A Course in Miracles, the term I am is used. Um, the I am, con um, it's beingness, the being that we are, that I am, right? Not the ego, but the true I am being, the I am consciousness. And the idea is, there's the I am, and then there's the Honestly, there's more details I'm kind of missing out on. I, I'm going to skip certain nuances and detail to your life. Let's stick to the basics here. There's the I am, and there's the subconscious. And what happened, the way he portrays it, in a in a sense, a bit like the Imatica, when he's talking the Immaculate Conception, and he talks and other, other things in the Bible. He uses biblical stories to describe what's going on he says basically that the i am impregnates or the i am consciousness impregnates the subconscious with or can impregnate, impregnates the subconscious with conditioning essentially or with visualizations which manifest in their external life right and if that person is coming from a place of love and visualizing what they desire as having what they desire now and visualizing having it and how they feel and what it involves, they it can manifest in their external life, so to speak. I mean, the internal external is, you know, an illusion anyway, but you know what I mean. Um, he also describes it like there's, imagine there's a play, right? And there's different roles within the mind that represent 
different actors and not literary actors, different participants in putting on a play, right? There's like the, the writer, there's the, there's the screenwriter. Wait, I can't remember the details. There's basically the person who writes the story. There's a person who sorts out the actual production. There's the actor. Honestly, I can't remember the details. I, so I maybe I could do a later, better video about this day. But yeah, so there's different roles that represent different parts of the process in manifestation. But yeah, the long short of it is, like I said, there's the I am consciousness that conditions the subconscious. It's kind of like programming. It programs the subconscious and the subconscious will reflect the, the contents that are impregnated into it. And it, so when you're going about your life, day-to-day -day basis, you're acting based on the mental programming, but that you can consciously program well, the programming and how you will act will generally reflect that. Yeah, I, I think that more or less sums it up. Now, you might notice it has it does actually have quite a strong similarity to a course and miracles representation of things. Because it's it's a different angle on the same thing, essentially. Um what positives are there? One positive is that it's compatible with the Course in Miracles, the Course in Miracles approach. And it's compatible with the law of one. That, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, also it puts things in a very Christian way, which is, like I said about Course in Miracles, appealing to those more of that mindset, or more from the West, or who got a more Christian, Christianist perspective. It's more relatable in that way, if you're in the West. And also, if you can integrate it with more Asiatic sort of mysticism, it, that, that, that itself would be particularly beneficial. So there's that. Another thing is it heavily focuses on manifestation and certain mystical teachings, but it misses out a whole bunch of other ones. Now, that's not necessarily a problem because it's highly focused on certain aspects of mysticism. But the fact that it misses them out, like chakras, I missed out of it entirely. You could say that's a downside. And of course, the Course in Miracles, they don't involve chakras. Um, Carl Jung's ideas, he did look into things like Gnosticism, which has similarities to what I've been out, the law of one and mysticism. Yeah, it is a form of mysticism. Um, Gnosticism of course, a type of Christianity. And of course, in Miracles actually has similarities to Gnosticism. Uh, I suppose maybe Neville Goddard's ideas do too. Um, yeah, uh, Jung looked at the, myth, um, the stories and the mystical, or the, the mythologies of all these different societies and the similarities that they had and the themes that are common to all of them, the common archetypes that manifest in all these different societies and stories, and e even in like modern day stories. And others who followed on from Jung's teachings, like um, the guy wrote, uh, what was it, Do you remember a thousand faces? I've gone blank. 
Uh, those who have followed on from him have um, outlined more about how the stories, the hero's journey, for example, uh, and how that works in stories. This basic formula for a story which someone who watches it, so to speak, in a movie, will, if it follows that formula, they will naturally enjoy it because it's this very archetypal thing that taps into an innate psychic idea of reality or something. It's fascinating. And he, he looked into this sort of stuff. And so there was an investigation to some extent of mysticism, but he did his very best to do it in a scientific way, which is kind of a downside in a way, but it also meant that his ideas were more accepted and more influential. So I don't think it's a problem. Well, it kind of is, not really. It's just a difference, really. And you could see it as a downside, but you know, I have a great respect for Jung and his work. Um, it's just there's different puzzle pieces, I suppose. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and Freud, of course, he was an atheist. It's actually quite amusing because in, in *A Course in Miracles*, Freud says that he tried to communicate with Freud a bunch of times, and that he was wasn't he was stubborn and he wasn't um, receptive. And maybe he just wasn't willing to accept that's what was actually going on, that he was being communicated with by Christ. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, Christ actually said out of all the psychological approaches, in some ways, Freud's one was the most accurate. And they actually, in some ways, he had a great mind. I, I, am I misquoting? I, maybe I, maybe the details anyway. But. Yeah, so, and of course, Freud didn't really look into mysticism that much. Um, so that's a downside. He didn't talk about that sort of thing, but there's certain aspects to his model itself, which have some strengths, like I talked about. Well, next we're going to talk about the law of one. Law of one is a bit different in that it focuses on the chakras. Uh, has a lot of similarities to yoga and Vedic traditions uh, from India and that sort of area. So um, you may well know what the chakras are, but just in case you're not, the they kind of go up. It's like, okay, so we've got our physical body. We've got our spirit and that we are, we are the observer spirit consciousness I am. That is also fundamentally the same one with source. But there's also the energy body that relates to, is it, it, it's fundamentally is connected to our mind and affects our mind or mind, but it also is, it's not physical, even though it's linked to our physical body and the spirit and our spirit and essentially there's seven key nodes there's other chakras but the, the seven key chakras main chakras going from just below just around the groin you know at, all the way up to just the top of the head right so the root chakra otherwise known as the red ray chakra is well it's red um it's a very 
grounded, earthy, and it's linked to the elements as well, uh, chakra, which is it's an energy center. Prana is what flows through it. Life force, essentially, flows through it, through all the chakras, in a sort of spiraling way. And each of these chakras, by the way, is linked to, in more of one, a density of going from the first density to the seventh density, which represents different, similar to dimensions, but not quite the same thing, different levels, I suppose, of consciousness and awareness. The red, the root or red ray chakra is about survival and basic survival instincts. Um, and I have a sense that it also involves the most basic aspect of being. Um, not in the sense that the uh, crown chakra does, but yeah. The next one up around your, um, I suppose just below your belly or your belly, is the um, the sacral chakra or the orange ray chakra. You might also notice that it's like the colors of rainbow uh, and the frequencies of light, which is not a coincidence. And this relates to your relationships with others, <clears throat> um, with other beings. Um, so in humans, this very much relates to, say, the dating scene. Um, in a less healthy or balanced way, it might relate to the God culture as well. But also just the social interactions that we have with other people, not necessarily to getting a mate or anything. Just, But it's also there's a fundamental, there's also a primal aspect to this, because consider that Inanimate objects might be first density. Um, plants and most animals that we encounter on Earth, they are second density. And, and, and so primarily, and they use the, the red ray chakra and the orange ray chakra. First density beings only use their, their red ray chakra. And the orange ray, it's like the instinct to get a mate, but not in the most fundamental survival sense of the red ray right? It's also about, yeah, it's about some, it's about the interactions with other beings in that sense. And if it's, and each of these chakras, if they're balanced, there's, they might be balanced one way, imbalanced one way or another, but if they're brought to balance, then the prana flows more healthily through it. Of um, course, if the red ray is in an unhealthy, unbalanced state, then what will happen is your sense of being fundamentally rooted and safe won't be there and you'll be in constant fight of flight sort of danger mode and you'll only be focusing on yourself right and your absolute primal need eating drinking just surviving right uh sacral if you're heavily focused on that you will be focused on your social interactions in a basic kind of way, like how a teenager might be, for example. And if it's, it might be imbalanced towards an excessive interest in casual sex, for example. Or it might be imbalanced in a sort of shaming way towards uh, avoidance of sexuality, 
sexual, sexuality and sexual identity is key to the energy body checklist, but I won't go into that at this point. The sacroi, the wait, yeah, the solar plexus chakra, not here, uh, about here, is um, actually, you might not be able to see this when I'm actually releasing this video, but in your chest, your lower chest or highest upper stomach, but not where your heart is, below that. So in between, basically, the heart and your where your sacral chakra is. And, well, it's like your solar plexus. I kind of gave you that clue when I named it that, right? And it's a yellow chakra, the yellow brain. And what it's about fundamentally is the more complex social interactions in a society, perhaps even in a civilization, whatever that means. Consider that animals typically don't have that, and we do. Now, maybe you could speculate about whether dolphins have a sacral chakra, or maybe your pets might develop certain aspects of the sacral chakra through interaction with humans. But generally speaking, yeah, it's about when you're concerned with filling in your taxes, that might well involve your solar plexus and also involves your egoic identity, who you are and how you fit into the social structure of society. Um, social status and all that is key to what it solar plexus deals with. And also it might deal, um, I suppose you could say logic, but not in a way that's heart-centered and compassionate, but more in a matter of um, what's logical getting things done. Apparently lawyers and journalists would heavily use the solar plexus chakra. Uh, and if it's unbalanced, you might be overly focused on your own place in society and not on others. Um, for example, or overly placed, focused on yourself. But if it's balanced and healthy and not blocked, if all of them, if the root, sacral, solar plexus chakra are, un, are balanced and unblocked and I suppose abundant, I suppose you could say, and open, this allows the heart chakra to open. But of course, the, the darkness that shrouds or the, the blocks and the barriers around the heart based on trauma and many lifetimes of ego, um, how much ego there is on earth collectively, you know, the, the, that needs to be unraveled. The, the egoic identity that is very linked to the solar plexus chakra, that has to be tamed and converted and converted or reprogrammed into a, a loyal, um, a loyal servant as opposed to a rebellious uh, part of your psyche. So yeah, the heart is all about unconditional love. Now, we have this idea of love and society, right? Of romance. And that this person's my special someone and we'll be so special together. And it, there's a possessiveness that's often about this, despite how there are positives to it. And there's a, it's still, it's often very egoic. Unconditional love doesn't have those limitations. It's 
fully loving everyone, essentially, regarded without any conditions. There's no conditions where like, if you don't do this, I won't love you. Or I will love them if they're like the X, Y, and Z. I need this, these traits for me to love me to love them. Otherwise, no. It's like I love everyone and everything unconditionally. That is unconditional love. Um, that 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 would be what it is. And this is the fourth chakra, and this is linked to the fourth density, which is what we're coming into in this ascension, this awakening. By the end of it, everyone on Earth will have. A fourth, that fourth chakra will be fully open. That's my understanding. The third chakra is, of course, uh, it's about wisdom and honesty and communication. And if it's blocked in, a, in an unhealthy way, you might feel that you don't have a voice, you not know how to speak, or you might feel you need to speak in a way which is unhealthy. Um, like, domineering over others. Well, that said, it's a lot harder to access the throat chakra and above if you don't have an open heart. It's possible, but it's harder to do and not fully. Um, the benefits of the throat chakra aren't really fully accessible without opening the heart. Apparently opening the heart unlocks way easier access to the other chakras above it. Because it's a balance, it's a great balance, right? You, you need to know yourself and accept yourself to love yourself and to love yourself, you can unconditionally love others. And then once you've done that, like the rest becomes a bit easier. Um, so it's about honest communication and wisdom, but not like all about logic, but just inner knowing, right? And also, I think if I'm correct, it might be linked to a way to access the Akashic Records, but um, that might be the Indigo Ray. I'm not sure exactly right now. The indigo ray, or the third eye, also linked to the pineal gland in the brain, is well, it's positioned just a, if you go just between your eyes and up a little bit, but just between your eyebrows essentially. Um, it's it's related to psychic abilities and intuitive um, insight. Oh, I did forget something. Um, the orange ray is actually linked, the orange ray chakra is actually linked to creativity as well, but not in the same sense that the third eye is. Although it's interesting that the orange ray is the first, is the second from the bottom, and the third eye is the second from the top which is a sort of mirroring almost in given that imagination, creativity and intuition have certain similarities. That's interesting and I don't know why. I, I can't give an explanation, but I've just, just, I feel like there's a connection um, beyond the surface here, but anyway. Um, so, On that note as well, um, if you look at the solar plexus chakra and how it might involve logic, but not a heartfelt logic, but logic nonetheless, like great generals, not great, you know, generals like who might have had closed hearts, like Genghis Khan might have actually highly used the solar plexus chakra and also the logic it might entail, strategy and that sort of thing. 
um, in a self-centered way. And the third chakra was linked to wisdom, but it's divine wisdom, not the basic goic um, thoughts, but we, um, what the what you can attain linked with an open heart, right? More so. So it's about and it's about wisdom, which is pretty interesting. But the third eye, the third eye, the Nugra ray, is and it's psychic abilities, clairvoyance, and so forth. Um, and it's a very much active with psychedelics. Psychedelics will activate in some sense the third eye, um, even if you're not ready for that necessarily. And then there's crown chakra. Well, I really went into the chakras more than I intended, but I think it's okay, even though maybe the video is a bit longer, but okay, it's fine. So yeah, the, the crown chakra is linked, I think, I might be wrong, but I think it might be where your spirit, your I am, is centered or connect, or like a connection to your I am. Outside of your body, or maybe your I am rests there in your crown chakra when you're in your incarnation. It, it's linked to that anyway. And it's where, when people channel and do Reiki, and for example, they will have their crown, all their chakras open, and their crown chakra will be where divine light comes in um, from source to, or from the logos to, and they will, it's like receiving downloads, receiving information, flow of energy from above, in a sense. Mirroring that, there's a flow of energy from Earth, from Mother Earth herself, coming in through the root chakra so there's a downflow from the top and an upflow from the bottom and when these do these flows intermingle in a swirling pattern i suppose in the heart and all of them are open and balanced and are blocked that's powerful but that, that's that's very powerful and so yeah, I think I've outlined it because I've outlined how the ego is linked to the solar plexus and how the an, an open heart acts, allows us access to the higher chakras above it, including the crown chakra or the Indi no, the violet red chakra. Sometimes it's associated with white, but it's the violet red chakra, which is linked in some way to the I am. But of course, we are always the I am observing anyway. We're not aware of that. But yeah, you open your heart and you're no longer, and what happened to solar plexus chakra will no longer take on an egoic form. That's my understanding of it as things stand. Lastly, there's Aaron Abigail. Um, not to put him on a pedestal, but I, I am, his approach largely resonates with mine. Um, I, I feel like as I've learned a lot from his master of my course and his videos. And what's interesting about his approach, firstly, he integrates the law of one with the Course in Miracles. He seems highly to draw upon them a lot, which is great because it's got that combination of the more Asiatic style and the more Western Christian style. It, and it also draws upon the 
confed the wisdom of the confederation and Ra and Quo, which is fantastic. Of course, the law of one also has connections to ancient Egyptian and Herma ancient Egyptian and Hermetics, ancient Egyptian mythology, teachings and wisdom and Hermetics. So, I might may well go on to that in a later video. Um, so his model is essentially there's the I am consciousness, which is one with source. Below that, in a sense, there is the subconscious programming. Um, I, I would call it programming. I'm not sure you'd call it programming, but there's a subconscious conditioning, essentially, that's fundamentally the ego. And for him, I get the impression that when he talks, instead of comparing there's the conscious part of, there's the ego and the subconscious, to him, ego is, it's all ego, and it's all kind of conditioned by the I am, I suppose. So it's either loyal, it's the mental programming that's either and maybe, sure, there's some of the mental programming we might be aware of and experience um, through our moment-to-moment -moment experience. Suppose you don't have an open heart and you're not in a dwelling in the I am. Then your moment-to-moment -moment experience would largely be filtered through uh, egoic programming, which is like I said, programming and conditioning about maintaining your social status and fight or flight uh, apply towards maintaining the ego and control and so forth. And it's based on negative self-beliefs, which are set themselves programming, mental programming, such as not being good enough, being incomplete, and so forth. Um, and this can take this subconscious or ego, because then them kind of merged together in his model. Uh, there's two forms, the loyal servant or the ego, which is like a wild beast. And in fact, in one of his videos, he talks about, uh, he talks about from the New Testament, Jesus talked about a parable of the lion, I think. And he was, and what it really means. And yeah, imagine there's this majestic, glorious um, lion that's like almost like a divine animal. That's that one aspect of the lion, right? Myth symbolically. But the other aspect of the lion is a ferocious beast that destroys, kills its prey, right? Now, what reflection? And this represents the, the subconscious program sense either it can take it a more a, a divine sort of form where it's a loyal servant working in harmony with the i am or it's in a fallen state of egoic programming so one clear strength of aranapi's approach is that its compatibility it draws heavily it draws on the law of one heavily and of course in miracles there's the Asiatic vibe, it brought some miracles vibe. It's very much, it's new age, for sure, I suppose you could say. These are terms, but you know what I mean. And yeah, and it's also, I think, compatible with Neville Goddard's approach. Neville Goddard's approach. It really, 
I really, I think that not everyone will necessarily, yeah, has a potential downside down at, at this approach is that not everyone will necessarily relate to or feel resonant with the way he puts things. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the idea of No, I don't want straw man because I, 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 I respect the guy. But uh, it's like this idea of some, it's the way, the answer, well, that's ego, can be applied potentially in an oversimplistic manner where drawing on Neville Goddard, some people might, it's a matter of what language and what framing is used to talk about the same thing. And some people might find approach more like Neville Goddard's, the way in which the, the I am impregnates, say, the subconscious and the idea of the sub subconscious in certain other respects as well might be more appealing there. I haven't quite explained properly. Actually. It's actually hard to put the words on top of my head what it is, but um, it's Yeah, I, I don't feel ready to um, articulate yet what it is. And it's not even a criticism of our case approach. It's just there are different ways of describing what's being described. I, I might go into another video. I don't know. Anyway, um, another positive is vast deliberation from the ego. This is the main biggest strength of this approach. And it's a really, yeah, it's fantastic this because with Carl Jung's approach, you can only go so far, right? And you make it's likely you won't. If you integrate your shadow, maybe that means awakening and opening your heart, but it's likely it won't. And it only takes you so far and it kind of stabilizes the ego instead of transcending it. Um, the law of one are typically a new age ideas, the new age movement. It's great, it's fantastic generally, but there's, a, there's the quick route and the fast and the slow route, right? The slow route, which is typically more done, that's my impression, is that gradually doing the inner work, doing shadow work, looking within, recognizing what's, when stuff comes up and gradually, and eventually you will open your heart and you'll be awakened, right? But there's a faster way to do it potentially if you focus on Aaron O'Kay's approach to what he calls mastering the mind, which is essentially reprogramming or reconditioning your reconditioning your your subconscious programming into a loyal servant, like uh, as opposed to the ego or the wild beast lion, you get the glorious lion, right? Um, and there's a yeah, a mental programming process essentially. That's how I put it. Anyway. It involves kriya yoga and uh, pranayama and 
Well, I mean, if you signed up to it, you'd find out. But yeah, he talks a lot about these sort of things in his uh, YouTube channel. Anyway. I, I, in fact, I don't even mean this as like a way to like advertise his channel or anything. It's just like, I feel like it neatly ties together a bunch of different approaches. Um, I feel like this video was finished anyway. Actually though, one thing it might miss out on his approach is just that it doesn't focus on certain aspects of new age business, right? But that's not necessarily a problem because maybe those aren't the most relevant things to mastering the mind and coming back to the heart chakra, you know, and uh, being having a subconscious program, being a loyal servant, and being present, essentially. So that's everything. Uh, that went on for longer than I intended, but I'm happy with what I've said, I think. There are certain points where I wasn't quite sure off the top of my head what that thing I want, how to express a certain, what was in my mind's eye. But I, I'm pretty happy with how I've done this. I hope you enjoyed this, I found it interesting. Um, and have a great day or evening. Uh, without further ado, bye for now.